Hi, I'm Louise Nets, and you're listening to In the Loop with Louise and Yasmin, right here on 88.1 WCRX-FM, Chicago's Underground. Today on our show, we'll bring you up to date with some of the biggest stories in the news you may have missed this week, like what happened on Super Tuesday, what's going on with coronavirus and Chicago College Study Abroad programs, and what furniture store you should hit up this weekend to get in on some liquidation sales. You'll hear Yasmin speak with Columbia College Chicago alum Nadir Mood about the magazine he created that highlights Palestinian-American voices, Palestine in America. And I, Louise, spoke with local artist Emma Moss about how handmade signage impacts our local businesses and community. And of course, stick around to the end of the show to find out what were Yasmin and I's social media sensations for the week. So join us and listen in to In The Loop right here on 88.1 WCRX-FM. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin Shika. And it's me, Louise Nets. And right now we've got some of the biggest events that you might have missed this week in the news. So we're starting off with yet again another week of coronavirus news. I know sometimes it seems like, do we really need to be talking about this still? But yes, yes we do. Well, of course. Um, so we actually had our campus come out with some announcements about the coronavirus threat on campus. Right now they say for Columbia College Chicago that there's no threat to the general public uh, in our area, no specific precautions, and that there's no known cases on the Columbia College Chicago campus. And they're advising that everyone still get a flu shot. I know it's late in the season for that, but it uh, is really helpful. Also, if anyone on campus has recently traveled to a CDC level three country, you need to report it to the college. And that's if you're part of um, any college or organization, you should probably, if you've traveled outside the country or to a CDC level three country, you should let your place of business know. Speaking of traveling abroad, um, I see here that the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, Loyola University, Northwestern University, um, and I believe maybe even more, we don't know off the top of our heads, um, have told their students that are studying in Italy to leave as the country faces um, an outbreak in coronavirus and the numbers keep going up. Right. So they are telling a lot of people who are partaking in these study abroad programs to come home. Um, I don't know if they're going to be going through any kind of testing. Italy has been a hotspot for coronavirus, um, especially in Rome. So that's really such a bummer to have to come home from your study abroad program. It is. And you know what? We also have um, J-terms here at Columbia. And I wonder if those, I personally didn't hear anything, but I wonder if those are going to be right. affected. Mm-hmm. That that brings up the question because there are plenty of J-terms. Um, also, Starbucks banning the use of personal cups. We were right. discussing this and earlier. And for here mugs. So... This is such a bummer for me. So Starbucks announced that they're not going to be allowing people to use their own personal cups uh, at their stores because of uh, sanitation. Not that having your own cups at the store in itself is unsanitary. I mean, we do this all the time, right? You bring your travel mug to Starbucks or wherever you get your coffee. You give it to them. They fill it with coffee. It's fine. Um, I actually work at a coffee shop and it's not uh, an unhealthy thing to do and it's really helpful for the planet. But right now, just as a precaution, uh, everybody's going to kind of have to settle for paper cups at Starbucks until they announce that um, the threat of the spread of coronavirus has lilted a bit. The company is still going to let you uh, get your 10 cent discount. So if you want to bring your personal cup just to show, hey, I have a personal cup and still get that 10 cents off, totally uh, go ahead and do that. But unfortunately, you won't be able to use it. And that's such a bummer to me because I almost always bring my own cups to Starbucks, especially since I have the cutest little sleeve that's a llama. Oh, really? For my cup. Yeah. You know, I've seen it before. I yeah, remember really what you're talking sweet. about. I love it. It is really but... cute. Um, I personally, I've never taken um, a reusable cup, and I think it's just because I've never gotten around to buying one, mm-hmm. which I should because, I mean, how much do you save? Each time you use it. Ten cents. Yeah. It's really not that much. I don't think that you're really making, you're going to be saving that much money. But I think the value in it is just, you know, using a paper cup is not ideal. Right. Um, Not environmentally I just, I like using my own travel cup. It's nice. Yeah. And your cup is cute. I love the llama. Yeah. 
but I think that uh, the fact that we're ramping up all of these precautions because of the coronavirus, not just in the United States, but globally, uh, is really smart and good. Let's move forward to Super Tuesday, the thing Louise Nets was so ramped up about, Oh, huh? man. Well, not just me, but my entire covering politics class. We decided after class, our class was uh, 3.30 to 6.20 on Tuesday, and we decided, well, why don't we just have a pizza party? So we ended up staying in the classroom that night until, oh, God, I don't know. I think I left around 9 when there were there were still obviously still results coming into into Wednesday. But I know that some of our classmates stayed so late that when they tried to open the classroom, the alarm actually went off. Oh my. <laughs> yeah. But it was it was a crazy, crazy night, uh, full of upsets really. Um, so the two biggest prizes on Super Tuesday were Texas and California. Um, with Texas Everybody sort of suspected a while ago that Sanders would sweep Texas with the Hispanic vote, but that's not actually how it turned out. Biden ended up winning uh, the popular vote there, and then um, Sanders took California. So what really happened was Biden swept a lot of states, especially in the South, where he's very popular with older black voters. And then uh, Sanders took a few states like Colorado, Utah, his home state of Vermont, and California. And right before Super Tuesday, a lot of people think the reason why Biden did so well on Super Tuesday, which wasn't expected, was because so many of his centrist opponents dropped out and endorsed him. Uh, Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, both after the South Carolina primary, dropped out to endorse him. And now, you know, the person who won won the big prize of delegates at Super Tuesday, uh, Michael Bloomberg, <laughs> won all of American Samoa. He won a whole six <laughs> delegates. Um, he just dropped out as well to endorse Biden. So he might be putting some of his money there. Who knows? Um, and also just recently, Elizabeth Warren, too, dropped out, which a lot of people... Uh, criticized her during Super Tuesday for siphoning off votes from Sanders. They're both progressive candidates. And um, a lot of people were saying that she was siphoning off votes from Bernie Sanders. Uh, and that's the reason why he didn't do well in states like Texas. Yeah, it will be interesting to see now that she's out of the race. It's sort of down to this two-person race now between Bernie Sanders and former Vice President Joe Biden. Um and the question that I'm really asking, too, that I feel like hasn't been talked about really too much is what are going to happen to all these endorsements for these candidates that have dropped out? Now, we've kind of a lot of people are talking about where their delegates are going to go. But for example, Amy Klobuchar and Elizabeth Warren shared the endorsement of The New York Times so will do you think the Times will endorse another candidate or do you think that that's just how it stands? I don't know. I always kind of didn't really take the whole um, media endorsements too seriously mm -hmm. because I feel like in journalism we shouldn't – I mean, I know, like, we endorse and that's, like, a thing and it's not nothing new. But I just feel like in journalism, like, there shouldn't be endorsements mm -hmm. um, from, like, news outlets. And I know that it's not – representing the whole news outlet but you know what i'm getting at i'm really yeah, totally, this. totally because i think the line between editorial and the hard news that we put in the paper has been blurred in recent years and so when it comes out that says you know the editorial board of the chicago tribune or the editorial board of the new york times endorses this candidate for a lot of people i feel like you're right that could be confusing thinking oh this paper is you know pro right for you know for example for the um for the new york times this paper is pro amy klobuchar this paper is pro elizabeth warren um when that's the the opinion of the people who are on the opinions and editorial staff yeah because my thing is um to sum it up basically the average american who maybe doesn't pay attention to the way news outlets function might not understand that that's an editorial board not mm -hmm. not representing the entire paper which yeah. is why i I personally am not, like, the biggest fan of endorsements mm -hmm. when it comes to media outlets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and he, right here on Columbia College Chicago campus, the Columbia Chronicle recently endorsed Senator Bernie Sanders. 
But I'm just wondering where, if, do you think the New York Times will endorse someone else? Because it's sort of interesting that the two people that they endorsed were on opposite sides of the Democratic liberal moderate divide. Um, you know, Amy Klobuchar being more of a, a I don't want to say establishment, but more of a center uh, liberal candidate and with Elizabeth Warren being more of a uh, left progressive candidate for the Democrats. I, you know, that's not an ideolo- ideologically similar endorsement. So I'm wondering where their endorsement will go from there. But there were also some standout moments from Super Tuesday, I think. Uh, There was one man, Hervis Rogers, who went viral on Twitter. Um, We started getting reports into the night that the lines to go to the polls in Texas and California were astronomically long to the point where one man, uh, Rogers, he waited seven hours in line to vote. I heard he even brought his own chair. Wow. Which um, the is... The commitment. Yeah, the commitment. But also, you know, thank God, I know there were some organizations in California who were going around, like youth voting organizations that were going around handing out snacks to people, handing out water to them, encouraging them, please, please stay in line and vote. Um, and it, it, yeah, it just makes you wonder, like, why that is uh, going on. Maybe they didn't expect such a high turnout or what happened there i don't know but um good on good on him for for staying in line against all odds right and speaking of super tuesday there was also a tragedy that happened um right in nashville in putnam county there were i believe two tornadoes Mm -hmm. and there were a total of 24 people killed from an an ef4 tornado yeah which is when it happened we were getting the news in and this is so awful but my first thought was are people gonna go vote (laughs) you know um and they actually ended up extending the times for the polls there i don't know how many people actually went (laughs) yeah they're saying how it killed at least two two dozen people 24 people um five um five children under the age of 13 died in Putnam county which was absolutely devastating this was the second worst tornado to hit the area Mm -hmm. and this happened after midnight in the nashville area and you were seeing um you know pictures and videos all over social media it was absolutely devastating the aftermath was devastating and i heard i read somewhere as well that people only a lot of people only got about a six minute warning to get to shelter which is not a lot especially if you live in an area where things are far apart it's uh that's not a lot of time and i think there's a myth that is kind of been dispelled by this a lot of people who like me grew up in rural areas you kind of got taught that tornadoes don't hit metropolitan areas you know or tornadoes don't uh don't hit the fork of a river things like that tornadoes don't hit big cities but that's just not true unfortunately and uh yeah it's completely devastating but also with uh going back to super tuesday for a second uh there are a few dates coming up for people um so tuesday the 10th uh we have a primary with hawaii idaho michigan Mississippi, Missouri, Washington State, and my home state of North Dakota are going to be voting on that day. And then the next week, we've got uh, voting here in Illinois. So Yasmin, going to the next story, I know that you're very excited about this one. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's kind of sad, but it's not because I'm looking for an apartment. So um, Art Van Furniture, um, the Detroit-based company announced that they will be closing all of their stores right and i actually live near an art van so this is great um (laughs) i mean it's not great but it's great i mean think of all the furniture that's about to go on sale right yeah they're having liquidation sales so yeah and i'm really excited for this um the liquidation sales that you just mentioned are actually starting on friday march 6th which i believe is today if i'm not mistaken right uh you know where i'm going after this (laughs) oh man and you know what i keep thinking so i did a story last year about how um minimalism and extreme spring cleaning is kind of bad for the environment you know because you're throwing out all this stuff just to buy new stuff 
so if you're if you're spring if you really want to get some new furniture great go out there buy some new furniture it's a liquidation sale do it all but if you're gonna spring clean and get rid of your whole apartment all your furniture um maybe make sure you find a good place to send it you know like uh thrift stores always take stuff like that um you can take uh extra cloths to like textile houses you know find a good way you know if you if you want to buy all this uh new stuff like totally go for it but Louise, do you plan on buying any new stuff? No. I do need a new couch, but... Well, there you... Why don't you hit up Art Van Furniture? <laughs> <laughs> you know where I'll be. Maybe we can uh, take a trip together or something. In the loop field trip to Art Van <laughs> liquidation sale. Yeah, ask people what they are um, buying now that there's liquidation sales. Right. It'd be a great segment. Let us know what you guys think. Should we do that? Let us know what you guys think. Maybe send us a tweet using the hashtag in the loop on CRX. Yeah, our new hashtag. Yeah, we recently came up with this. Very recently. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Make sure to tag us at WCRXFM. Yeah, so what what do we have coming up on the show now? So I actually will be doing an interview with a Columbia 2014 alum who created their very own publication. Wow. And I think it'll be very interesting to discuss on the show. Cool. So we're going to take a break. And if you stay tuned, you'll be able to listen into that interview. Columbia College is notable for their professors being actively employed in subject areas that they teach. It is also known for the great success in all majors post-college departure. The college is often praised for these accomplishments and choices, and it is why many students choose to come to the South Loop campus for their college experience. This is no different for 2014 Columbia College broadcast journalism graduate Nadir Ihmud, who went on to create his very own publication and change his career route drastically after time spent on campus. And here with me now via the phone is Columbia alum Nadir Ihmud, who is the founder and creator of Palestine in America. Hey Nadir, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. So how are you doing today? Doing pretty good. It's a nice day out. Yeah. Well, first, let's start off by talking about when you graduated from here in Columbia and your career afterwards. So tell us a little bit about your experience here at Columbia and then the magazine that you created, I believe, during your time here. Uh, I created it right after graduation. So basically, like a week after the ceremony, PalestineAmerica.com was live. Um, I was the only writer and producer for the website. And, uh, yeah, so I, I pretty much launched it by myself, just uh, went on uh, GoDaddy, purchased a, a website, and created it all on my own, even though I had no experience creating a website or anything. So at first it was very uh, flaky, and I wasn't uh, really doing much with it because I, I was also driving Uber to make money, and I was also working uh, at the Sun-Times as a content creator for certain cities, very, uh, not what I expected I was going to be doing right out of college, but that's pretty much what I was doing straight out of college. Okay, so the... And I was also, and, and sorry, I, I was also freelancing, too. I was freelancing for a website called Electronic Intifada, which is run by Palestinian Americans as well. Oh, that's very interesting. Um, can you tell us, for those who are unaware of who you are and your magazine. Tell us what path you took at Columbia, um, what you graduated with, and what the magazine is all about. So I took the broadcast journalism track. Um, back then it was different at Columbia. I know things have changed. Things changed like immediately after I graduated, but back then it was the broadcast journalism route. And so basically um, I worked at the Chronicle. I wanted to be a sports writer so bad. I wanted to be a beat writer for the Cubs or the Bulls or the Blackhawks, any Chicago team was my dream job. And I was working at the Chronicle. I interned at WGN in, in their sports department. So everything was on track for me to do exactly what I dreamed of doing. Um, and I was at the Chronicle, and I uh, loved my experience at the Chronicle. worked there three out of the four years that I went to Columbia. Um, but there were some times where things were not as progressive as they should have been. For instance, I'm Palestinian-American, and I would – 
you know, from time to time write about things that affect the Palestinian-American community. And uh, I got censored at one time, and that really motivated me to kind of steer away from what my original dream was. And that's how I pretty much started Palestine America. That's what motivated me to do it. Because I just didn't want other Palestinian-American writers or journalists to, if they, I wanted to give them an opportunity to write about these kind of certain issues without being, uh, fear of being censored. That's pretty much how Palestine America came to be, uh, even though I was on track to be a sports journalist. It was just so mentally tolling that I was like, all right, I guess I'm not a sports reporter anymore. And that's when it changed for you? That's the, that was the last straw for me. That was, I uh, basically didn't stop looking for sports reporting jobs. I was going to take a job in Wisconsin for like 20 grand a year covering high school sports. Okay. And I remember just going, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. I started freelancing for the electronic intifada. And then I also got a job at the Sun-Times, which I hated. And I also kind of got bullied over there for <laughs> writing about Palestine. So uh, that was also another endorsement for why Palestine America was so important. And uh, a little while after that, I decided to put my full focus to Palestine and America. And the only way I could do that was if I got another supplemental job. And that's why I went out and I got my uh, license in insurance. And so that's pretty much how I survive financially these days. But Palestine and America is a national magazine now. We're quarterly. We print uh, four times a year. We have writers all across the country. We pay our writers. Basically, break even every year, but um, I'm happy with where we're at after almost six years of running the magazine. So, tell us what are some things that Palestine in America does um, that highlights um, Palestinians in the U.S. So, um, well, for instance, we had our last political issue, and uh, on the front cover was the first Palestinian woman in Congress, Rashida Tlaib from Michigan, and so we highlight. People like her who are doing amazing things. We've had a music issue where we highlighted a Palestinian musician and artists. Uh, we also have an annual event. It's called Palapalooza, where we bring Palestinian rappers, singers, and we host a, an awesome show for everybody to see Palestinian culture. And, and we also even have um, a show coming up uh, that we're hosting with an organization called Existence is Resistance. And we're bringing Twista, Brother Ali, uh, and a few other acts uh, to help raise money for a really cool organization. Um, and uh, and so that's one. That's another way that we do uh, bring awareness to Palestinians. What organization is that? Uh, Existence is resistance. Okay, just wanted you to say it one more time so our listeners can hear it. Yeah, yeah for sure. And uh, we're raising money for Autism Superhero Palestine, which is an organization that. It aims to create more possibilities for autistic children through education, creative activities, and workshops for parents to educate them about how to engage with their children and learn more about autism. Because especially in Palestine, um, they don't really have the you know resources that we do have here in the U.S. So it's a really cool organization that's kind of you know helping parents out there understand it and you know better help their children. And one more time, when is this event? Oh, and I didn't even say that. It's March 20th, uh, and it'll be at Alhambra Hookah Lounge in Chicago, Illinois. Oh, awesome. So where could people um, purchase tickets to show up? Um, they can go to palestineandamerica.com, or they can go to uh, existenceisresistance.com to find tickets. And, uh, yeah, they can find tickets there, and tickets are $30, And but for college students, we have a discounted rate for 20 The only thing that we ask is that if you buy those tickets, to show up with your student ID. Awesome. And speaking of college students, since you are a broadcast journalism graduate and there are many broadcast journalism students who also listen to this show, what are some advice that what's some advice that you might have for journalism students, considering maybe you didn't um, like the path that you had originally taken? So you changed your mind. What advice might you have for them? Um, Be open to do everything in college. When I was there, my uh, if you, you know, from my words, I was entrenched in sports journalism. I had a sports talk radio show on uh, WCRX. I had I was on Metro Minutes, and I always wanted to do a sports report. I had a sports column for the, you know, I went to WGN, and I worked in their sports department. My biggest advice is don't do that to yourself. 
is to take the investigative journalism classes, take radio classes, take journalism classes, take print classes, learn to do it all. Because in this day and age, having all the skills is the biggest leg up that you can have and be able to write about politics, be able to write about sports. And then, you know, don't be afraid to, you know, freelance at first, you know, and definitely find out what it takes to freelance, how much, you know, what, what are the going rates, these kind of things. Because when I was in school, they didn't teach us about, you know, how to, how to go about freelancing and what should we charge for our work. And there's a lot of things that you don't think about while you're in school. And those are some things that I just remember going, man, if I had thought about those things and acted upon those things while I was at Columbia, I might have, you know, a leg up from where I am today. So speaking of freelancing, you mentioned earlier that you have freelancers who write for you. Are you looking for freelancers at all? I mean, there are plenty of journalism students here who would love to take yeah, up an opportunity. Always, yeah, we're always looking for freelancers. We don't really even have a, you know, a required level of competency because we're technically a journalism organization. So we do train journalists. But uh, if you do have, you know, the experience, then, you know, and you don't need training cool whatever but we take all levels we've had people who have written you know for the wall street journal and the new york times write for us and we've had people who've never written and never been published anywhere write for us as well and we do pay uh competitively we don't really meet the industry standards because we're a nonprofit and our you know our finances are not where we want them to be but we do offer pretty fair compensation and um it's a good way to get you know get published and get paid right out of college or while you're still in college because like we said there's no age limit for our contributors right and then one last question is there anything that you'd like to say to maybe columbia college or maybe any skills that you picked up while you were here that you're happy or happy about maybe you're proud of something for sure columbia college one of the greatest things about it is the staff there uh while i was there at least we had so many people who were actually in the work, like our professors were NP, working at NPR or WBEZ, or they were working at, you know, ABC, or, or they just retired from there. So we had access to all these amazing people, uh, whether they had flaws or not, but the access that we had to them also lets us having access at, you know, getting tours at, you know, the Red Eye when that was still around or at the Tribune. And, and so we had a lot of access and a lot of, and I just, there was a lot of moments that were great. Even working at the Chronicle, there's, you know, not everything's perfect, but that was an amazing experience. I was able to cover Northwestern athletics for years. I was able to, you know, I, I got to be a beat reporter for the football team, the basketball team. I remember my radio class took us to the Bulls game and we got to be in the locker room with Derrick Rose. Like, there was a lot of amazing experiences while I was at Columbia. You guys were listening to Najin Ahmoud, the creator of Palestine in America and Columbia College alum. Thank you, Najin, for coming in. We really appreciate your time. Thanks, Ismail. Have a great one. You too. We'll be right back. Like so many millennials, I love coffee shops. And one of my favorite parts of the experience is seeing the artwork and jokes donned on the sidewalk signs and menu boards. Emma Moss is a Chicago artist with the keen ability to turn any sign into the most memorable piece of promotional material you've ever seen. You simply just cannot pass by one of her coffee shop signs with the adorable characters and beautiful designs and not stop in for a latte. Her work includes window murals, chalkboard art, menu boards, and she recently helped the Chicago Water Tower Association celebrate the 150th anniversary of the Water Tower by designing one of the over 25 five-foot replicas of the iconic landmark. Her rendition, decked out in the style of the musical Into the Woods, was displayed along Michigan Avenue downtown. So when I first noticed the stuff that you do was when I was I went to Whole Foods because my boyfriend works there. And uh, I went there and I saw all of the Goose Island gooses that you did. And they were so 
charming and awesome i love every time i see them they just brighten my day <laughs> thank you the one there's one with a little bandana and of course we can't forget the pussy hat the pussy hat so was good so iconic, popular iconic everyone loves it no i was actually i was i was wondering if i you know based on the hat they were going to be wearing if it would affect the sales of said uh variant of goose island people get that one i don't i don't i don't know if there was any science behind that but it still made me happy when people would be like, yes, 2017, pussy hat. Yes, do it. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Where, so your style is like very cartoonish, but also fun and light. And what's your inspiration? Like where, um, what kind of things do you pull from? Are there specific cartoons or people that you like or? Yeah, actually, I, f- I really feel like we're in a golden age of like animated media. Totally. Um, and I am absolutely a sucker for... Uh, animated movies and TV shows like Miyazaki films. Uh, I love Adventure Time and yeah. Steven Universe. And cool. Yeah, there's just there's a lot of great stuff out there right now. One of the thing, big things I wanted to talk to you about, kind of, you do a lot of like menu boards and windows for people's shops and stuff like that, and and characters for people and signs to pull people into stores and stuff like that. You know, with a lot of marketing materials that you see nowadays, it's like a whole team worked on the design for it. And I feel like half of it is not as compelling or memorable to me as the stuff that you make. Why do you think that is? That's a that's a really good question. Um, and the irony every single day of working at Whole Foods, um, which is a company that actually once Amazon took over, mm-hmm. they got rid of the store graphic artist position, mm-hmm. which is kind of why I started there in the first place. Yeah. They they made a, a move towards corporate, mass-produced, you know, like one sign that goes in 800 stores versus, you know, an artist that was in each individual location giving yeah. a personal touch to every, you know, community store. I, I still personally value just having the human touch of something, doing something handwritten. I think it's always going to catch your eye more than the printed word. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but I just, I think that there are so many things that I've noticed in the store. Um, and also, if I've seen your stuff around town, that I notice it and I, I really remember it like like the goose. And I'm like, wow, if Goose Island picked that up. You know? I'm curious if one of their reps actually saw that or not. I like tagged them we're in it on Instagram. It Everybody on Instagram, we're putting it on our stories. <laughs> we're getting it out there. We're getting Goose Island's attention. Because I feel like, you know, sign makers used to be a whole profession. It, truly. And it's it's hasn't gone away. I think it's just not as valued today mm-hmm. as it once was, given that we do have technology that can mass produce uh signs and and but it always strikes me too whenever clients of mine will hire me to do like a handwritten sign and i'm like you could just get this printed on vinyl probably quicker um and it would look neater i mean it's not gonna look hand done but they're like no no i want i want hand done particularly coffee shops Mm -hmm. um i've done a couple of and there's such a drive in your local coffee shop to uh, cultivate community. And I really feel like coffee shop owners tend to value that hand done, hand, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Do you think artists should be reaching out to local businesses more? Do you think that businesses should be placing more of an, um, more of a focus on having like a local art presence in their store because i know that a lot of businesses you know they they display a lot of local art mm-hmm. you know um and even sell some of like help artists sell that kind of thing but do you think that's something maybe artists should be pursuing more in the community i think it's a conversation mm-hmm. um yes absolutely that would be great if every business owner reached out to their local artist but i think it's you know it's a two-way street um, and I know when I'm out at a new business and I will see a really rough hand-done sign and I'll just like, you know, politely, lovingly be like, hey, just want to let you know, like, this is something I do if you're looking to change up what you're doing and maybe give it a little bit more of a 
professional but not robotic touch. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a service I can provide. Yeah, totally. But into the woods. So could you tell me a little bit <laughs> about this project you did with the water tower? Absolutely. And it coincides with that freshman year of college, realizing that music wasn't for me, but particular there was a production of Into the Woods uh, that my school did that year. And I spent a lot of time listening to the Bernadette Peters version of You yeah. Are Not Alone. <gasps> Just weeping, <laughs> weeping. Because you feel so alone and you're like, I don't know if this is right for me. I don't know. Blah, 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 blah. But I just, I think that that is a really, it's a cool, cool musical that I didn't really give credit to when I was younger. I think because I only saw like either the junior versions or I fell asleep in the second act. But the second act. There's is, a lot of grown up themes in it. The second act is where it all comes toppling down. And mm-hmm. I think that's where the gravitas of that particular show, like, that's where the impact is. Yeah. Because the first one, yes, it's stories you've heard, it's all the fun stuff, blah, 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 blah. And it's setting it up to answer the question, like, okay, what happens next? Mm-hmm. We talk about happily ever after, but like, then what? Right. Yeah, so it, it hit me. It hit me because it's like forging your own path, defining who you are, um, facing a world of uncertainties. That, that feels so real and so now. So and how did that translate visually into your project? Hmm. I was thinking a lot about uh, like paper cut art, particularly for the trees on the bottom. Yeah. Um, so I got like booted into this mailing list. And they're like, do you want to do a water tower? I was like, yes, absolutely. Not realizing that there are so many nooks and crannies and not really (laughs) pleasant to paint edges on a a small replica of the Chicago Water Tower. Um, But in my mind, it was like, yeah, oh, totally, easy project. And I liked, given, you know, the actual architecture of it is tiered. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking like, oh, I'm going to do like different facets of different stories on each tier yeah leading up to you know a night sky that everybody's under yeah I, I thought it was really great how you could translate the emotions and feelings of the show into your visual representations of it you know especially when the show's been done hundreds of thousands of times mm-hmm. I'm sure um so I think your love for it really shro- like showed through in Thank your you. in your representation what do you hope that when people see your stuff, like when they're going to their favorite coffee shop down the street or they're coming to Whole Foods or they're seeing your stuff as, you know, street art, like what do you hope that they get out of it? That's that's a great question because there's so much beyond my control as an artist of what people are going to take away from it. Mm-hmm. But... You know, if anybody just stops and it catches their eye and makes them think or feel something, that's, I think, any artist's goal. In a, in a metaphorical sense, for people to feel like they are privy to an inside joke. <laughs> that, that's an awesome way of putting it. That would be cool. Totally. I totally feel a part of the gooses. Yes! They're in my mind yes. always. Every yes. time. I, you know. The little Rosie the Riveter goose, Man. too. I actually, when I was, that's one of my favorite ones because I was trying to do, I was trying to do Rosie. I was going for it. And then it absolutely came out looking like Tupac. <laughs> and so I was like, you know oh what? no. This is a goose for all audiences. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> And so I was like, oh, no, like, what are people going to think? And then I was like, you know what? It doesn't matter. It's... You know what? We're getting either Goose Island or Affleck on the phone. I don't care. <laughs> we need we need duck slash geese people. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. What are you looking forward to going into 2020? I'm going to be doing, I'm revisiting a place that I actually used to work, mm-hmm. um, this wonderful bakery on the north shore that i'm happy to plug right now because yeah do it they're the best they're the coolest um julie Mathay and ellen king started this absolute gem of a bread and pastry emporium called hewn bakery um that as of right now is located on dempster street in mm-hmm. evanston but they are upsizing they're upgrading Yay. they're growing they're spreading their wings i love them a lot 
Um, and they, I will also attribute, gave me my first uh, sign gig. Oh, cool. My very what was first it? menu board was listing all the, the breads that were available cool. at Hewn Bakery and then like a stock of wheat. And then I did their coffee board and then some of their client, like Evanston business clients would come in and be like, oh, that looks pretty good. Like, who did that? And it, that's how my business grew. Like, they yeah. planted the seed right there. So it's coming full circle because I, I left that. Um, I no longer work for the bakery, but... Uh, a couple weeks ago, one of the owners reached out and was like, we're moving into this new space and we need menu boards. It's going to open. The, like They're aiming for the first week of April. Okay, Check it cool. out. Hewn bread opening. It's going to be yeah, great. No, it's totally. on Central Street in Evanston. It's going to rock. Uh, the bread is amazing. Also, Mythical Creatures, huge inspiration for me. But I have this weird history with bread, too. Um, if you'll <laughs> indulge me, the process of uh, creating a starter, fermenting it, and then kneading it into something. You're like putting your, putting, <laughs> like the physical, yeah, like the physical thing the about physical it. physical effort. And then, you know, having this beautiful thing rise and then sharing it mm-hmm. with people you love. I've never felt more maternal. You know, I think that's a perfect metaphor of what you're doing in your art anyway, because, you know, you could go to the store and get a loaf of bread that was made by a machine. You know, you could get a sign that you printed out using Microsoft Word, or you could get this beautiful artisan product, you know, that has, that has love and real, you know, um, human effort put into it, just like your signs. You know, and that just makes it so, I'm so glad much you more enjoyable. Yeah. You totally get it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah. so thank you so much for coming in. Uh, we'll be right back here on In the Loop uh, on WCRX FM 88.1, Chicago's Underground. There was a lot of conversation that didn't make it into this show. If you want to hear Emma and I talk about bad movie adaptations of musicals, we're looking at you, cats. Artwork that combines pigeons and thumbs, and how she once did a performance art piece where she made bread children and feasted on them with her friends, you can find the full extended interview as a bonus episode of In the Loop with Louise and Yasmin wherever you find your podcasts. If you want to check out more of Emma's work, Head over to Hewn Bakery in Evanston and follow her on Instagram at Emma. That's M-I-S-H-E-M-M-A. You're listening to In the Loop with Louise and Yasmin. Now it's time for Social Media Sensations here on In The Loop with me, Louise Nets. And me, Yasmeen Chica. My social media sensation for the week is not a meme or a tweet. It's a handshake and not even a handshake, but a lot of world leaders have been wondering, so now that the coronavirus is going around, we don't want to spread it to more countries, all these things, how can we greet each other and not spread the virus, right? So what they've come up with, and this is a video that went viral too, and I'll be sharing it on Facebook, but they call it the Wuhan shake or the foot shake. So interesting. Yes. So instead of doing a normal handshake, what you do is you sort of lean back and then you like just tap foots. Toes. You just with your toe, you just go boop. And there isn't like a meme made out of this yet? No, no, there's not. Like, there's a lot of countries, too, that are trying to say, you know, there are traditional greetings in different countries that involve, you know, like a um, Eskimo kiss or something like that or hugging. They're trying to say, don't do that. Let's uh, compromise and do something else instead. So, hence, foot shake. Quite interesting. Which, honestly, I would have no problem with just adopting as the norm. (laughs) I would be so good with that. It Except is... I'm a little clumsy, so I might fall every once in a while. <laughs> same, same. I'm very clumsy. I totally get you. I'm Middle Eastern. We do it all the time. It's like a thing. I yeah. Don't, I don't really know why. It's like a, a way to show respect. 
I don't know how other cultures do it, like Middle Eastern culture, like we do that. Like we'll do like the kiss on the cheeks. Yeah. Or the hands. Mm-hmm. But I think that this is such a great idea and I would not mind adopting it. Right. So let's move on. Um, my social media sensation wasn't really as funny, but it was um, it, it brought me back to my childhood. So that's why I wanted to share yes. it. Um, so this reminded me of my childhood. Um, the tweet said, bringing back memories from elementary school, a thread. um they show those vests that you wear in gym class to like differentiate which team you're on like maybe like the red team what do they call those like jerseys or i think so um so the first tweet was a picture of those and the the twitter user her name is melina she said these smelled so bad and were probably washed (laughs) once a year and they just, they just I kept it... them in a big trash can like in the corner yeah. <laughs> um another one that popped out to me in this thread um was why were we forced to play hot cross buns and it's a picture of a recorder <laughs> oh my god okay so recorders when i was in elementary school we had recorder karate and that was when you had uh, a song you had a big song book and then every page was a different color and then every time that you could go to the teacher and play a song for her and you played it right you would get the color that was on the page and so you went from white all the way to black right and then if you got above that you could get like the pastel colors and stuff and if you were really cool like me because i was a black belt and recorder karate um if you were really cool like me then you would get you would have the end of your recorder would just be like a beautiful cornucopia of ribbons that you collected from your from your teacher and i bet you you were the overachiever who did i was it. yeah i'm pretty sure i had all of the ribbons i love you it. know um speaking of like music classes in elementary school since we're on the topic i had this music teacher she was always smiling but it wasn't like a positive smile it was kind of like one of those like fake i hate my jobs but i have to <laughs> smile all the time types of things and when she would get mad at the students she would point at the whiteboard with like a really creepy smile and she'd say yasmin go put your name on the board and when the teacher comes she's gonna see it and then the teacher would come and she would like see my name on the board and she'd say yep mrs or mr you know whoever the teacher was this student's name was on the board today and then the teacher would say oh we're going to have to have a discussion. And let me tell you, the discussions never happened. <laughs> so I don't know why it was a uh, thing. And you, you ever think about, like, the elementary things that... Yes. Like, the weird things that happened in elementary school? Yes. Like, what was a weird thing that happened for you? Um, Two things. One, I don't know why, when you lost a tooth, you got to have that little chest that you would wear around (laughs) your neck with your gross baby tooth in it yeah i don't know why that was so cool (laughs) but also we had like behavior cards so you had yeah you know what i'm talking about so you had a wall that had a bunch of pockets in it and you had a green paper yellow paper and a red paper and your teacher would if you did something would flip the paper or put the, the green one in the back so it would be yellow and that would be your warning. And then if you went again, it would be red and you'd go see the principal or whatever. Yeah. And I remember I had a yellow card one time. I don't remember what for. And I was so ashamed. Did you cry? I don't think I cried. But <laughs> I was such a goody-goody. Like, I was a goody-goody to the point where my parents, even I think in elementary school, never went to our parent-teacher conferences because... They just said, we we don't need to go. What are they going to tell us? You're amazing. What's the problem? <laughs> then you're like, they're going to see the one time I had to get my card. <laughs> <No. laughs> one time I got a lunch detention in like the sixth grade. And mm-hmm. I almost got out of it because everybody who didn't do the homework assignment was supposed to get a lunch detention and I didn't do it. But the teacher didn't know. But I, the one there was one kid who sat behind me and he was such a snitch like all my years of elementary school. What was his name? I'm not name dropping. I'm pretty sure not it was even something. the first name? I'm pre- I think his name was like Tyler. Ugh, it was Tyler. very basic. Um, but like, he, like the teacher didn't notice that I didn't do the assignment and I was like, whew, I'm in the clear, yeah. And then he rose his hand and he was like, Mrs. whatever her name was, I forgot which teacher it was. What about Yasmin? Yasmin didn't do the assignment. 
and I was like, really? Really? You have to say it? And then I got a lunch detention, and I was crying hysterically. I was like 11 years old. And I cried in front of my classmates. I was very emotional. It was scarring. It was very scarring. Scarring. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> was there anything else left in that thread from your oh, tweet? Yeah. You know, this thread was honestly so golden. It, it it took me back to good times in life. So another thing was um the original smart board, and it was <laughs> one of those projector things. Yes. Oh, it was um. So not when you first got a smart board. No, it was an overhead. Yes, that's what it was. Overhead projector. It was so long ago. I don't. You even know what's remember. crazy? I. You know what I think is crazy is the fact that my dad. So my dad was born in 1962, and he had overhead projectors when he was in school. That's how old those things are. Uh-huh. You know, they're probably the same ones too. <laughs> <laughs> Your teacher stepping out for a second to get a transparency. <laughs> Yeah. Another one that I thought was funny. I just love this thread. So another one was um, the static that came from these. And it was a picture of those blue, like, generic chairs that most people sat yes. on in, in elementary school with, like, the three holes in the and back. And then if you had long hair, your hair would get caught in, like, the um, the bolt on the back of the yeah. chair. Yes. And then two more things. Um, those little scooter things and how you would run your fingers over when mm-hmm. you would sit and ride those. And then the last thing that I have a funny story milk yes chocolate no. or regular like so white milk so this just tacks on to me being a goody goody in um elementary school you were a white milk person weren't you so <laughs> <laughs> so what happened was i prided myself on the fact that all my whole fifth grade year i only had one chocolate milk and i was very proud of myself did you have to buy it or did you like prepay I think that it was included in the fee or whatever, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, my mom... Everybody got chocolate milk every day. I don't know why I (laughs) was that person. (laughs) You know, my mom used to sign me up for the white milk, and I always used to take a chocolate milk, and I always thought I was so cool and, like, bad because I did that. (laughs) Like, yeah, all of you guys are drinking white milk. I'm supposed to drink white milk, but I took the chocolate milk. Throwing off those ordering pars. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and you'll be able to find that tweet, that tweet thread on our Twitter at WCRXFM. And I guess this is the end of the show. And we will see you again next week, Friday, right here on WCRXFM 88.1, Friday at 3 p.m. A special thanks to Emma Moss and Ned Harry Mood for coming on the show today. We'll be back next week with more headlines, interviews, and social media sensations to share. Until then, follow WCRX-FM on social media to see what we're reading and laughing at every week. If you missed any part of the show, you can find In the Loop with Louise and Yasmin wherever you get your podcasts.